Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show, broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island where it is broadcast continuously for 15 years. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at tracyhotchnerpets.com. I'm also the founder and director of the annual New York Dog Film Festival, which travels the country supporting local animal welfare groups after a New York City premiere every October alongside my annual New York Cat Film Festival brought to you by Dr. Elsie's. This show would not be possible without the longtime support of Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food, remaining privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards. This show was also made possible with the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their cats. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative dog chew, no hide, and the hybrid dry food wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky Weimaran or Maisie will eat. What an incredible book has emerged from the lore of cats. A new book by Sarah Brown, The Hidden Language of Cats, How They Have Us at Meow, for me, really changed the whole way that I looked at cats. And I have a strong feeling it will do the same both for academics and for people living with their cats. This is how Sarah Brown got her doctorate on the social behavior of neutered domestic cats. And the story of it, which is in her book, for me, was just absolutely riveting. Sarah, welcome to the show. Congratulations on a life well lived in terms of cats. You have really devoted yourself with such scholarly love. It's very impressive. Oh, thank you so much. And hi, Tracy. Thank you for inviting me on. Well, how could I not? So there's the title, <laughs> The Hidden Language of Cats, How They Have Us at Meow. And so I don't know what I was expecting. You know, there's there have been a lot of very charming books, you know, keep a look at their whiskers and their tails and their body shape, and that means what they're thinking. But you really mean meow. And I guess the most astounding thing that comes out of the book is that the meow, as we think of it and we know it, was developed by cats for human interaction. It's not a cat sound. So we'll roll back the tape a little bit and talk about how you came to what, to me, is the most extraordinary 
discovery in your work and in the book, although there are many. And I think that must have been a pretty big uh, wow moment for anybody following your work, yes? Um, well, yes, I think uh, because I was obviously doing my work quite a long time ago, um, back in the late 80s, I was probably one of the first people to talk about you know, what cats are actually doing on a day-to-day basis and, and trying to analyze that behavior. Um, and um, so, I, yeah, I, I found in my colonies of cats, and I was studying cats, uh, rural feral cats in England, that although I was recording many, many behaviors um, over many, many hours, I never heard them meow to each other. Yeah, it's kind of incredible. And then you talk about the mews and the little sounds that the kittens will make to their mom yes, or maybe even for, their mom. for the yeah. mom to the kittens, but it's not the same as the meow we think of. What what astounded me, in and I was aware of your work, is that I didn't understand that you had been, if you will, the Jane Goodall of cats. Because when Jane Goodall <laughs> went to live with the chimpanzees and everybody mocked her, she's just a young girl, you know, female with an interest in primates, They said, oh, that's absurd. But she lived with them in order to really observe them and see how they lived with each other and found out that they were violent and that they used tools and all the things that would never have been known otherwise. I think what you did was so similar. If I understood it well, these colonies of cats were were rehomed to a rural farm or barnyard because they'd been in cities where it didn't work out, particularly for Ginger, or I guess Ginger did better than most. And you went there to study them in that same way of sitting quietly, being an ethologist, and watching. Was that the first time and maybe even the only time that anyone has devoted that amount of time to truly feral cats and then been able to put them in a location where they could be watched in all their genuine feral catness? Um, well, it's very nice of you to compare me to Jane Goodall, but oh, I, I, I do I mean it. I really don't think that I'm anywhere in her in her realm because she's she's just an amazing researcher. But I, I think um, I wasn't wasn't the first to study feral cats by any means because people before me had studied um, intact breeding colonies of cats, farm cats, and um, farm cats and cats in colonies around dockyards, and I wanted to look at particularly at neutered colonies to see whether they still had a social structure without that whole um, oh, mother right. kitten breeding, you know, sort of central mother maternal um, center to things. And so I, um, yeah, my aim was to, to look at neutered colonies. So one of my colonies we did rescue from, uh, from the grounds of a school and they were neutered and we relocated them on a farm and I spent many hours watching them. And then the other colony was already neutered and lived in the grounds of a hospital. Right, at, at so, a, psychi- a psychiatric hospital. That's right, yes. Yeah. So it was a huge rambling building, you know, in the middle of nowhere. And I would drive up and, and sit in the grounds. And, and cho- I chose one particular group that, that, you know, seemed quite stable. And I sat and watched them for many hours, but probably... Not quite as many hours as Jane Goodall. <laughs> and, maybe, and maybe better <laughs> conditions because you could still have a cup of tea exactly. in between, yes. whereas she was what, whatever it is that you drink in the bush or in the mountains or wherever it was, not not so much a nice hot steaming cup of tea. I don't but, think I was in quite so much danger ever either. <laughs> right, but I mean, that's I don't, I don't know whether she was younger than you were at the time that you were doing your work, but... I'd say that being on the grounds of an active psychiatric hospital has a certain <laughs> element of risk to it. I'm, I'm teasing, Maybe. but 
But it's certainly the way you depicted that hospital and the nooks and the crannies and the basements and the deserted areas. These cats were living very wild. Yes, they were. And and yet, at the same time, not so wild because, you know, you would see those windows open and food come out from <laughs> from inside the building and they were right there uh, you know they they didn't interact with with anybody but they they knew you know what they needed and what they could get from the from the people inside the building and they there they were clever cats and one of the caretakers i think had a sense of some were friendly and i think would even come up to a car or to certain people right that's right, yes, because there, there's, some of them have been there a lot longer. Some of the cats have been there for years, and, and um, you know, and, and then there were some newer ones that they regularly people dumped their cats there. So some of the cats there were quite new and were just used to coming up to people as domestic cats would. And these weren't the ones I studied, but they were, they were, they were just like friendly, normal cats. The fact that, that the, the very fact of your, of your title of Meow, the very fact that the Meow was developed for use <clears throat> with humans, indicating that although everyone's always said cats just live, you know, independently of us and kind of take advantage of the fact that we'll feed them or house them, but in the end, they really don't, they haven't made that dog-like connection to us. Seems to me that what you learned belies that, that there is an adaptation of domestic cats to human interaction in a way that has to do with communication. And we haven't been listening because we didn't understand, I think. I think, and, and that's sort of part of the reason for my book is yes. that, that I think we just need to listen and look and, and watch our cats a bit more. And, you know, they do communicate an awful lot. <laughs> They've got a lot to say for themselves, but they have a different style of communication. We're, we're very vocal they came from, uh, you know, ancestors that lived by scent, and they've learned. They've learned to use some of the methods that we use, you know, vocalizations in particular. They, they've, you know, all these meows, they work. They work on people. And, yes. well, you know, let's use them a bit more, and let's, let's change them so they sound like a baby's cry, and then people find it really hard to ignore them. But this, <laughs> this kind of stuff, I think, is just fascinating. I do, too. And the way you look at it and the way you studied it and the way you put, you go from A to B to like Q is really interesting because <laughs> because your mind is already there. You have such respect for the cats. You have such acknowledgement of their, you know, for lack of a, a less stupid word, personhood, that they are individuals and they, and they are responding to the environment. And even to us and for some of them, it isn't just food. It could be the socialization, the spend a little time, have a little rub, have a little scritch. There's things Absolutely. that matter to yeah. them, and, and some of them more than others. And I, it's so easy for humans to say, well, I don't know. I can't, I can't really see what they're saying or what they really want, so they don't really care. That We dismiss them. We, as a, as a species, we dismiss them because we don't have the patience that you have to sit and watch and draw conclusions about the depth of who they are. Yeah, I think, I, and I think this is what I want to encourage people to do is to, is to sit, watch their cats, yes, think about what they're trying to say, and and how can how can you use that to interact with them better? You know, to get more out of your interactions with the cats you meet, and and respect it when they don't want to <laughs> interact in particular. 
Yes, and not take it personally or, or judge them as being a cranky cat or an unfriendly yeah, cat. Yeah, we all have days we don't want to chat, and, and <laughs> yeah. um, so do they. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, did it? Did you have personal cats at the time? I don't remember noticing whether at the time that you were spending these many, many hours watching and writing and writing your doctorate, um, did you have cats at that time? Um, yeah, I have. Uh, I, I got my first cat when I was doing my studies. Okay. Uh, that was Tigger. Uh, oh, he's right. in the book. <laughs> right. And then um, I've had cats pretty much ever since. He oh, he lasted. I had him for 19 years. And then well um, done. I've, but as I wrote my book, I had um, Bootsy and Smudge. Yes. Um, who also feature in the book. And they, they do. Kept me, kept me good company whilst I wrote and, and gave me chance to, you know, to watch cats a bit more as I wrote. But how did it change what you saw in them? Very tame, very neutered, very homebound, attached to you cats. How did it change your perception of them, if it did? Um, I think I think I, uh, poor cats, I probably analyze them endlessly, which is probably, you know, probably stressful. <laughs> they don't know. Them, it's all right. They don't know. No, I know. Um, I thought I thought perhaps um, the, the the thing that I used most on them was looking at their personalities, which is a whole chapter of the book. Yes, and, um, and I, I found that really interesting to to look at my two cats who were sisters, you know, from the same litter, and and just amazed, be amazed at how different they are in their personalities. You know, how they interact with people differently, how they interact with other animals differently. And um, yeah, I, I just found that that's what I focused on mainly with those two. And that's and that's why I brought it up because, of course, I knew that you'd written that chapter. I just wanted people to understand that it isn't just the cats in the wild that you studied and learned from and about. It's that you brought it home, and had it yes, affect and yes. influence your relationship with your own cats, and even understand maybe theirs with each other. And I think that's one of the the ancillary values of the book. Of course, it is that the end goal that we all have in the in the pet field is for people to be the best possible companions to their animals that they can and vice versa, right? Absolutely. And yes. so, but we have to take more responsibility, not just with cats, with dogs as well, but in particular with cats, for what that relationship feels like and looks like. It's not just something that happens and we just, you know, take it or leave it. We, I think that your book, The Hidden Language of Cats, really helps us understand that we're an active participant unless we choose not to be, in which case we're not holding up our end of the bargain, in a sense. Well, yes, I agree. I think um, in some ways I think cats work a lot harder uh, at the relationships that they have with their people exactly. than, than we do Yes. In, in terms of trying to communicate. And we don't always notice. We just... <laughs> We just glance. <laughs> At best. At best. Yeah. Or we act irritated. So, you know, it's sort of like that child that you'll see with a distracted parent going, Mommy? 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 <laughs> and then the kid has a complete meltdown and is screaming, and the parent thinks, Oh, what an annoying child. Well, if you would just acknowledge the first mum, just said, Yes, a mo just a moment, darling, or, you know, given them a toy or something then they would have felt seen and acknowledged. And I, I sometimes think the cats, some cats have given up on some of us because they've tried to say hello, hello, hello. <laughs> and we're not noticing because we're, because we're a bit blind to it and a bit too wrapped up in our own human life. And <clears throat> they get, they, well, on some level, they might just give up. 
Yeah, and some, some do. Yeah, yeah, and you can't really blame them for that. Um, I wonder what you think about the very, very highly bred cats, like the Siamese, the Abyssinians, the much chattier cats, for whom meow is what they do from morning till night, some of them. Now, is that, do you think, genetic? Is it learned? Is it because when people seek out those Asian breeds, they want a chattier cat, so the people who adopt or buy them want to have more interaction verbally with them? Possibly. I mean, they, they do definitely have a reputation for, for being more vocal, and that's not a new thing. That's That's been around for a long time, so that's been you know bred, bred into yes. them more and more, I think, as time's gone on. And, and there is some research to show that, you know, a lot of the personality features of cats, you know, the, of these, you know, these breeds is, is related to their actual breed. So, you know, some are much more vocal and then it's always breed specific. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely a, an element of, well, yeah, my Siamese is very chatty and, and that's why I love him. Yes, um, yes. And, yeah, why not? <laughs> exactly. But it's the, sort of the opposite of people not paying attention to the smallest meow or the smallest yes, attempt yes. to interact, it's the constant chat. I mean, I have a dentist who does that. It's the strangest thing. I guess she thinks you're a captive audience. She just never <laughs> stops talking. And you can't talk back. And I sort of sometimes think of Siamese that way. Talk back or don't talk back. They're still going to talk to you. So Yeah, you, defin you definitely have to enjoy it to, to yeah. be able to, uh, yeah. And, to, and then, to of course, you know, elicit it. And there isn't an off button because that's not how it works. So you're just in for yeah. the long chat. And if you keep them healthy and alive as long as you did Tigger, then it's a long time. It's going yes, to get really exactly. quiet when they're gone, <laughs> sort of surprisingly. So yes. um, is there any other signal other than the meow? Just in kind of wrapping up, we just have another minute. Is there, some, is there one other thing that you noticed in terms of their interaction with us or each other that, that we should just be alert for? Um, well, obviously my favorite one, <clears throat> which you'll see from the book, is Tail Up, which is yes, one of the exactly. things I I studied in great detail yes. in my colonies, and and that that signal is is very much a friendly intent type signal between yes. cats, and they use it to towards us as well. Obviously, they seem to use all their signals towards us, and uh, yeah, I found that interactions where cats put their tail up very rarely ended in 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 aggressive or unfriendly behaviour, whereas whereas those that did have their tail up were always rubbing, you know, affectionate. Yes. So the, so, so the takeaway from the conversation about the hidden language of cats, how they have us at Meow, is if your cat's tail is straight up, it's like putting their hand out for a handshake. Make sure you meet them halfway somehow or other. Sarah Brown, you've written a wonderful book, and it's a, it's a great addition to the literature, but also to each person's home and the kitties that they live with. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed the show. There's a few more special companies that make the show possible, and I hope you'll try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. I want to thank Wonderside, founded by a woman entrepreneur who discovered an effective natural way of using plant-powered products to repel fleas, ticks, and other parasites on our pets instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. Wonderside makes it possible to protect your pets, children, and property without the chemicals that could be harmful to all of us. The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human edible, ethically sourced ingredients, and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. 
They founded and run their own company and answer only to their own high standards. Finally, we're supported by Magic Fabric Pet Throws, developed by a husband-wife team whose expertise in the textile industry solved the problem of their big hairy dog, Molly, who got on the couch in bed with them, despite her wet fur, muddy paws, and shedding. Sound familiar? They created machine-washable Magic Fabric Pet Throws to trap pet hair, dirt, and moisture letting you enjoy dog and cat cuddle time without sacrificing your clothes, furniture, or decor. You can buy direct from the creators at magicfabric.com. 